Every week, a lot happens in Parliament. Debates rage, bills are discussed, and laws are introduced. So it's easy to feel like you don't quite know what's going on in the chamber. So we're lifting the lid and telling you exactly what happened this week in Parliament. This week, we saw debates over the Rohingya humanitarian crisis, a major vote on England's new lockdown, as well as seeing Johnson walk out. One of the types of debates that happens most in Westminster is a Westminster Hall debate. Although most of the high-profile debates happen in the historic House of Commons chamber, some of the less high-profile ones happen in Westminster Hall, as there just isn't enough time to host them all in the chamber. And committee hearings usually happen in here too. On Tuesday, the Backbench Business Committee considers debates from backbenchers. These can be on any subject. This week, Jeremy Corbyn has put forward a debate on the Rohingya humanitarian crisis and the effects of COVID-19. Very briefly, the Rohingyas are a Muslim minority group who reside in Myanmar, and they've been fleeing due to persecution into the bordering country of Bangladesh. It's believed that due to this movement, over 850,000 Rohingyans are currently residing in refugee camps in Bangladesh. To explain this situation more thoroughly, Jeremy Corbyn opened the debate with a brief history of the situation and an explanation of current issues that the Rohingya people are facing. There are many experts who believe that uh, the Rohingya people have been living in Rakhine State since at least the 15th century and possibly as early as the 7th century. It's important to draw attention to two of the major acts of the Myanmar government that has infringed upon their rights. First, the 1974 Emergency Immigration Act, which required all citizens to carry an identity card. The Rohingya were ineligible for those cards, and they were only eligible for the foreign registration card, which provided limited rights and was meant for foreigners. Secondly, in 2014, the government conducted its first census in 30 years. On the census, there was no option to register as Rohingya. Therefore, the Rohingya had to register as Bengali, effectively forcing them to admit what the government had claimed all along, that they are immigrants to the country, not citizens. They were then allowed to register as temporary citizens with very limited rights. The Arakan Rohingya Salvation Army, known as ASRA, a minority Muslim people from Myanmar, attacked a security post in northern Rakhine State. Nobody's condoning that attack. Following the attack, the Myanmar security forces, led by the army, attacked the Rohingya population across the whole of northern Rakhine State, driving more than 700,000 people, 80% of the Rohingya who lived in the northern part of the state into neighbouring Bangladesh. So just get the figure there. Collective punishment is illegal in all forms of international law, but that is exactly what the Rohingya people have had to suffer. In fact, Jeremy Corbyn, alongside other MPs in this debate, were keen to press the Secretary of State on what the government has done in relation to the humanitarian crisis. It's extremely concerning and very unethical that the UK has apparently obtained large quantities of PPE equipment from Myanmar, a country where the government is accused of ethnic cleansing by the UN and genocide by other human rights organisations. We can and should find other sources of PPE equipment. We're going to enter a second lockdown now. Can the minister guarantee the government will not be purchasing any more PPE equipment from Myanmar? It would be helpful to know what steps the Minister is taking to work with the Government of Bangladesh to encourage efforts to designate critical gender-based violence services as essential 
to ensure that there is a continuity of gender-based violence service provision throughout the COVID-19 response for the Rohingya. Our government is in a unique position to display the moral duty and global leadership required to support the Rohingya and to find ways to reach the solution of a return on the Rohingya's terms. But that cannot be done until the Myanmar government ends the arbitrary detention of the Rohingya in camps and recognises them as full citizens. So can the minister therefore update us on what steps he has taken to place diplomatic pressure on the Myanmar government on both fronts? The minister responded to these questions with the following. A total of $600 million uh, in new and existing funding was announced at the conference. We, the United Kingdom, announced a further £37.5 million for the Rohingya refugees and local communities in Bangladesh. This brings, Mr Twig, the total UK commitment to the Rohingya in Bangladesh thus far close to £300 million since 2017 when they had to flee their homes in Myanmar. And on the 23rd of June, I spoke uh, to the government of Myanmar and raised my concerns in the strongest terms that the Rohingya are denied citizenship and have been stripped of the right to vote. We have applied direct sanctions uh, to the perpetrators of the atrocities against the Rohingya people and in total uh, 16 people in Myanmar have been sanctioned. We'll continue to use this tool to be force for good in Myanmar. The debate concluded right after the minister's statement. Clearly then, Westminster Hall debates are a good way for backbenchers to raise key issues and get a swift, direct reply from the minister in charge. Also in Westminster this week, the Prime Minister brought forward his bill that would amend the Coronavirus Act in order to put the temporary lockdown into law. Prime Minister to move. Prime Minister! Mr Speaker, I beg to move that these regulations are approved and that we come together today to implement time-limited restrictions across England from midnight so we can contain the autumn surge of the virus, protect our NHS and save many lives. Starmer then replies to Johnson, largely being supportive over the bill. He does, though, make clear that no one actively wants to vote for it. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know there's a lot of members who want to speak, particularly on the opposite benches, and so I'll keep my remarks brief. Nobody votes for the regulations today with anything other than a heavy heart uh, on both sides. I didn't come into Parliament to restrict people's freedoms, to prevent people meeting their friends and their loved ones, to decide when people can and can't leave their home or how many people may attend a funeral. I don't want Parliament to be closing businesses, gyms, bars or places of worship. Frankly, I don't want Parliament to be legislating on any of these issues, least of all after the British public have made so many enormous sacrifices already. Starmer's saying that as the bill they're voting on cannot be amended, it isn't as good as it could be. The government, through the Coronavirus Act, doesn't actually need Parliament's permission to change rules designed to curb the spread of the coronavirus. The only reason this vote is even taking place is to assuage Tory backbenchers. Despite this, some backbenchers were still outraged, specifically about the fact they were not able to help draft the rules, including the Prime Minister's predecessor, Theresa May, but we'll get onto that later. Sir Peter Bottomley was also critical of Parliament's role in the drafting process, pointing out that the rules around tennis seem nonsensical. I want to come to the points where I believe we've not got it right. I do believe that two people playing tennis separated by a net can do so safely, and safely as they can if they went for a walk. I think the golf uh, restrictions are unnecessary. There's obviously a responsibility on the club or the provision of the premises 
I think that should be possible. If I can go for a walk with a dog, or take a walk with a cat, fly after my um, parrot, I haven't got any of those, uh, I think I ought to be able to go around with, with, with golf clubs as well. And there are interesting questions as to whether swimming, as long as you don't have infection risks in changing rooms, can be safe. Uh, in fact, basically, all these separated sports, I think, should be allowed. The more, more intimate ones, like wrestling, I can see the problem with, and other recreations of that kind. But I believe that we ought to be able to make provision for people to, to get exercise, doing the kinds of things that they... I, I give away a wrestler? Yeah. Yeah, that was a wrestling joke. Politicians aren't known for their humour. In addition to criticisms about the technicalities of the bill, other politicians were criticising the fact that the new lockdown puts a bet on science being able to come up with a vaccine. But the point I want to make is this. The government's strategy, as advocated by some of the best scientists, it's been my privilege to meet them, relies upon a bet that science will deliver vaccines, improve testing, improve treatments. And I'm delighted that people are optimistic about it. But I'm being asked now to impose the most enormous costs on my constituency and on my country on a bet about science delivering in an environment where there are contested data sets, including a data set which suggests are going below one. And I'm not able to do it. It's with a heavy heart and many misgivings that I will be voting no tonight. Hancock ends the debate with an emotional speech about the balance of freedom going back to Johnson's starting point that no one is voting for these regulations happily. I too am a lover of freedom, but I also care about protection, and it is the combination of the two that we must uh, balance and address. So, Madam Deputy Speaker, in ordinary times, these measures would be unimaginable, but these are not ordinary times. It's a virus in circulation that feeds off the human contact that makes life worth living, and we must act to thwart its deadly march, to protect our NHS and to save countless lives. While we support every person and with everything we've got, support the science that with increasing confidence each day I know will help us to find a better way through and I commend these regulations to the House. Anyway, moving back a little bit during this debate on lockdown, the Prime Minister started a brief controversy by standing up and leaving the Commons Chamber at the point when his predecessor, Theresa May, rose to speak. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I first of all say to my right honourable friend that I don't envy him and the government the decisions that they're having to take, take and, the difficult, and the difficult positions that they uh, find themselves in. May, since leaving office as PM, has become somewhat of a backbench critic of her successor's government. In the last few months alone, she's openly opposed government legislation such as the Internal Markets Bill, on which she abstained from voting, and also on house-building plans. She eventually used her speech in this week's debate to criticise Johnson's lockdown plans and ask that Parliament should be given more access to the data used to inform government decision-making. Because of this relationship between the two, critics have tried to paint Johnson's exit as him deliberately leaving the chamber due to the criticism being faced. While his move did seem a little rude and disrespectful to his predecessor, and the person who gave him his first cabinet position, if you watch the video, it's clear that he left before May started his critique. Apparently, his exit was due to needing to attend a meeting, and that Johnson later offered his apologies to May, with a spokesman saying it was not a deliberate snub in any way. He has great respect for her. Boris, while you might have the best intentions, maybe just sit tight for a few more minutes. 
And before we finish this episode, let me throw over to myself earlier today to give you a quick TLDR announcement. I know people don't like it when I plug things in these videos, but we've apparently released over 250 minutes of content in the last week, so give me just one minute here. You might remember that over the first lockdown, we made and released Brexit the colouring book. Well, with the second lockdown beginning in England, and with Brexit reaching the bitter end, we've now released a new extended edition. Not only does it have a rather lovely new coloured front cover, it also contains six brand new images inside, continuing the story into 2020. It also has even more timeline detail than the first edition, and is printed on even nicer materials. If you want to pick up a copy, you can pre-order now using the special code TLDRDAILY. If you do so, you can get a copy of the book for only $8.99, or a signed edition and a free Barnard Castle postcard for $11.99, or a signed edition with three Barnard postcards and a mystery pin badge for only $14.99. That offer ends on Monday, and you can find it exclusively on the TLDR store. If you want to be updated with what happens in Parliament next week, be sure to subscribe to the channel. Or if you prefer to listen to the weekly update, then subscribe to the Daily Briefing podcast feed, where you'll find a daily summary of the week's news and every Saturday, This Week in Parliament. <laughs>